0: Do you, Baron Frankenstein, take this woman to be your bride? Do you promise to haunt her with old horror movies, toys, and comics? Yes, I want friend. Woman. Friend. And you, Baroness, do you take this man beast to be your lawfully bound husband? Do you promise to endure hours of unimaginable torture? as he rambles about monster movies and long-dead actors. Close enough. Then by the power invested in me by Count Alucard, I now pronounce you supermates. supermates. You may bite or kiss the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Supermates, Husband and Wife Geekcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Cindy. And today we're continuing our House of Franklin Stein series. And now we're in October proper. As uh, this airs, and almost as we record this, because we're a little bit behind recording. Uh, Shh, don't tell that part. Don't tell anybody. But we we kind of we've had like our whole house has been sick with one thing or another here.
1: Uh, or here. You and I both got um, a flu like virus and pneumonia, and then Danny came down with strep, and Andrew acted like we had Ebola and wouldn't eat it with mm-hmm. us or anything.
0: <laughs> but anyway, so we've uh, we've come through that, and uh, now we're here. We're back in the the House of Frankenstein, and uh, we're going to talk about another film. This one was actually your pick,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I believe. And, uh, you know, we've covered, uh, this is obviously a Dracula film, we've covered the first Hammer Christopher Lee Dracula film, but that's it as far as the actual Count Dracula character goes, as far as movies we covered. So this time we're going to cover the 1979 production of Dracula starring Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a universal film, but it is not really a remake of the Todd Browning, Bell Lugosi original. Uh, It's another adaptation of the John L. Balderston, Hamilton Dean play, which was in turn, of course, based on the Bram Stoker novel. But both the Lugosi movie and this movie are really adapting the play first and the novel second. So just like Bela Lugosi before him, Frank Langella had played the character on Broadway in a revival just a few years before this film was released. I think it started in 1977. So he essentially showed up on Broadway. It was a big hit. And the producer, Marvin Mersh saw it, saw the play, saw him in it, and he got the idea that, hey, this would make a pretty good movie, you know, just like this. have a new, kind of a new take on, on Dracula. And a big budget take on Dracula. So, well, we'll jump right into it. Uh, Dracula was released July 20th, 1979. Again, not around Halloween, but a summer, big summer blockbuster yeah. type release. Uh, it was directed by John Badham, written by W.D. Richter, based on the play by Dean and Balderston in the novel by Stoker. Frank Langella plays Count Dracula, Lawrence Olivier, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Plays Professor Abraham Van Helsing. Donald Pleasance plays Dr. Jack Seward. Kate Nelligan is Lucy Seward. Trevor Eve is Jonathan Harker. Jane Francis is Mina Van Helsing. Janine Davitsky is Annie. Tony Haygarth is Milo Renfield. Teddy Turner is Swales. Sylvester McCoy, who of course was the seventh doctor, uh, apparently played a character named Walter who is cut from the film. Pretty huh. much. I did not detect him at all in this movie. Right. And apparently, I mean, if he's in the movie, he's in like a background scene somewhere. But apparently he was cut from the movie. Of course, this is before he was the doctor. Right, right. But uh, Kristen Howarth is Mrs. Galloway. John Belcher is Tom Henley. Ted Carroll is the Scarborough Sailor. Frank Bursch is the harbor master, And Garber Vernon is the Captain of the Demeter. <laughs>
1: 1913. As the ship, the Dementor, nears the shores of Whitby, England, its crew fights against a raging storm and something aboard the ship itself. As the captain ties himself to the wheel, his men attempt to throw a large wooden crate marked Dracula overboard. A clawed, fur-covered hand smashes from the inside of the crate and slashes the throat of one of the crewmen. The captain is then left facing a snarling wolf.
0: At Whitby, the inmates of Dr. Jack Seward's asylum are agitated by the storm, and perhaps something more sinister. Seward calls to his daughter Lucy to help calm the patients, leaving her visiting and sickly friend Mina Van Helsing alone in the house above. Mina witnesses the Demeter crash into the shore, and runs out into the storm to rend aid. Mina sees the wolf leave the wreck and follows it into a nearby cave on the beach. Instead of a wolf or dog, she finds a man in a fur coat, nearly unconscious.
1: The following morning, Jonathan Harker, a solicitor, arrives at the wreck in his newfangled automobile. Jonathan learns from his friend, Dr. Seward, that his client, Count Dracula, is the only survivor of the shipwreck.
3: The man we represented in the purchase of Carfax Abbey, uh-huh. Count, Count Dracula... Count Dracula, of course! How stupid of me, I is almost he safe? forgot in all this ca- Who? Dracula! Oh yes, he's the only one who is. Young Mina found him on the beach last night and we took him to Carfax. As for the rest of the crew... Look! What happened? We don't know. Maybe the ship's log will tell us.
1: The cargo belongs to the Count as well, crates filled with dirt. Dr. Seward asks Milo Renfield, previous owner of Dracula's new home of Carfax Abbey, to relay an invitation to dinner at Seward's home. Renfield delivers the rest of the crates to Carfax while Dracula rises from another. The Count transforms into a bat and attacks the grubby man.
0: That evening, Dracula comes to dinner.
1: Count Dracula.
4: Good evening. Miss Seward. Good evening, Count. Dr. Seward. Miss Van Helsing. My savior. I trust you're feeling improved.
5: Yes, thank you. I don't think she looks well at all.
4: Well, perhaps a trifle pale. Count Dracula, we haven't actually met. Uh, I, this is... Uh... Yes, Jonathan Harker, my new English solicitor. I have enjoyed our correspondence. And I too, I must say. I must thank you for finding me an extraordinary house here in Woodby. <laughs> it's a
3: pleasure.
5: <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't see how anyone except possibly Milo Renfield, could spend even a day at Carfax Abbey.
4: A house, Miss Seward, cannot be made habitable in a day. And after all, how few days go to make up a century? Sorry, I don't understand. I am of an old family. To live in a new house would be impossible for me.
3: i got dinner hot, if anybody cares. I care, Mr. Swales. Come on, Come along, Count. Food.
0: He makes quite the impression on Mina and Lucy, who is also Harker's fiance. When Mina nearly faints under mysterious circumstances, Dracula comes to her aid, hypnotizing her pain away. Later, he and Lucy enjoy a dance, much to Jonathan's chagrin.
1: That night, Lucy sneaks away from her room to meet Jonathan. Dracula observes them from the mansion's roof and then scales down the house's outer wall and into Mina's room. Frightened at first, Mina opens the neck of her blouse to her midnight suitor. Upon returning to Carfax, Dracula asks for the allegiance of Renfield, who now seeks sustenance from living bugs.
0: The following morning, Lucy awakens to find Mina gasping for life. Although she calls for her father, Lucy watches in horror as her friend dies before her. In their puzzlement, they notice two small puncture wounds on her neck. Dr. Seward sends for his friend and Mina's father, Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, while Jonathan takes the Count's paperwork to Carfax Abbey. Dracula has already learned of Mina's death and requests that Jonathan file the papers in London following the funeral, which will make him unavailable for the dinner Dracula is inviting the Seward's to. A less than happy Jonathan is assaulted in his car ride backed by a mad Renfield who begs to be saved from his master. Jonathan takes him to the asylum while the raving loon goes on about his master promising him lives.
1: Following Mina's funeral, Jonathan heads for London, Dr. Seward to the train station to meet Van Helsing, and Lucy to Carfax to accept Dracula's invitation. While Dracula charms his guests, Van Helsing questions his friend over his daughter's death. At the asylum, a mysterious figure attacks and murders the baby of one of the inmates and crashes through a window and flees. Seward and Van Helsing arrive to find the baby with two puncture wounds in the aorta. The baby's frantic mother, Annie, stuns Van Helsing and Seward when she tells them she recognized the fiend as Lucy's dead friend, Nina. And she was as hot as a
3: burning coal, and her eyes were red like rubies, and her lips all drawn
5: back, and her breath so foul, and she had these long dreadful teeth, like fangs of a wolf, like nothing from this earth, and then she grabbed him, and I grabbed her, and the next day. I remembered you
3: This before. woman, you did not know
4: her? Yes, I did. I did so.
3: It was Miss Lucy's friend, Mina, that we put in the earth yesterday.
1: Outside, observing the night at Carfax, Dracula and Lucy's dinner blossoms into romance with a kiss.
4: Listen to them. The children of the night. What sad music they make. Do
5: you think it's sad?
4: So lonely. Like weeping.
5: I think it's a wonderful sound. I really love the night. It's so simple.
4: So deceptive. So
5: exciting.
4: You take the dawn for granted the warm, hot sunlight. Ah. But the night... Was made to enjoy. Yes. Yes, it was. It was made to enjoy life. And love. Look at me. Not for hours yet. I will see you again.
0: Oh, please. The following morning, Van Helsing consults Seward's library and then visits his daughter's grave. He tries to explain to Lucy why he has placed garlic on Mina's plot, but she is disturbed by his talk of vampires. He gives her a crucifix necklace he intended for Mina, when Count Dracula arrives on horseback to pay his respects. Later, inside, Van Helsing watches Dracula and his horse act rather peculiar around Mina's grave. That night, he and Seward take a horse of their own out to the cemetery. It is Van Helsing's belief that the horse will lead them to the vampire. It goes straight for Mina's grave.
1: In the manor, Lucy takes off her crucifix and waits at the foot of her bed. Dracula appears from the fog and enters her room.
4: Now it is you, my best beloved one. You will be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. You shall cross land or sea to do my
1: bidding. With little effort, he seduces her and puts the bite on her during a Laser Floyd show. Or is it the James Bond opening sequence? Cutting a wound in his chest and making her drink his blood. Meanwhile, Van Helsing and Seward discover Mina's grave is empty, but a hole in the coffin leads to the mines below. Van Helsing enters cross in hand while a frightened Seward stays up top. Stumbling around with his lantern, Van Helsing drops his cross in the puddles below and sees the reflection of a horrifying sight, his decomposing daughter Mina calling to him. Mina. Papa.
3: Come with me. We must Papa. Come, Papa. I'm laat mij my. rust. Come, make me Papa? let me.
1: she tries to attack her father but seward arrives in time to warn her off with his cross she turns and finds herself impaled on the stake her father is holding she expires again in the arms of her weeping father
0: Jonathan returns to find Lucy nearly dead in her bed. Seward sets up a blood transfusion between Jonathan and Lucy, while Van Helsing covers her room in garlic, much to Harker's puzzlement. Dracula calls upon Van Helsing, who notices his guest does not cast a reflection in the room's large mirror. Dracula smashes the mirror, and all pretense between the two quickly dissolves, with Van Helsing pulling out garlic and a cross against the vampire.
2: Oh. Oh, the
3: devil.
4: Um... Not as bad as that.
3: I did not hear you come in, Count.
4: I am often told I have a light footstep.
3: I was looking in the mirror. It reflects the whole room, and yet I cannot see.
4: Forgive me, Doctor. I dislike mirrors, they are the playthings of man's vanity.
3: You are a most, uh, unusual creature, Count Racco. Yes.
4: How is the fair patient?
3: Her diagnosis presents difficulties.
4: I feared it might, my friend.
3: Would you care to see what I have prescribed for her?
4: Anything that you prescribe for Miss Lucy has the greatest interest for
3: me. My prescription is the most unusual one.
2: <laughs>
4: you are a wise man professor for one who has not lived even a single lifetime
3: you flatter me
4: but not wise enough to return to holland at once now that you have learned what you have learned
3: i prefer to remain
4: in the past 500 years professor those who have crossed my path have all died and some not pleasantly come here
0: Unable to bend Van Helsing's will, Dracula transforms into a wolf and flees. Van Helsing informs Stuart and Harker that Dracula is their man, and the next morning the three men perform a strange ceremony, removing Mina's heart. Lucy watches from her bedroom window, and on her first chance flees the house. The three men intercept her in Jonathan's car, and she becomes combative in her attempt to get to Dracula. They eventually restrain her, and Van Helsing and Harker head to Carfax to rid the world of the undead Count. In the crypt, they find Dracula's box of earth empty, but the Count soon appears from nowhere. Gentlemen, how kind of you to call.
3: I have underestimated your powers, Count Dracula, to move about in daylight hours.
4: It is always daylight somewhere on Earth, Professor. After my rest, my need is only to stay in darkness. <laughs>
0: Jonathan attempts to stop him with a cross, but Dracula simply grabs it and he catches fire.
4: You fools. Do you think with your crosses and your waivers you can destroy me? Me? You do not know how many men have come against me. I am the king of my kind. You have accomplished nothing, Van Helsing. Time is on my side. In a century when you are dust, I shall wake and call Lucy my queen from her grave. No. Yes. I have in my time had many brides, Mr. Harker. But I shall set Lucy above them all. Don't get Lucy.
0: She's mine already. No! Harker then tries to hit the vampire with a shovel but Dracula transforms into a bat and attacks, scarring Harker's face. Dracula leaves, but Van Helsing places wafers in his coffin to prevent his rest.
1: Arriving back at the asylum, Jonathan is disturbed to find Lucy held in a cell there. He visits her, and at first, she seems herself. But she soon moves in for an attack, her eyes black and her teeth elongated into fangs. Van Helsing enters and wards off her transformation with a crucifix. A troubled Lucy keeps the crucifix and cradles it as she weeps. Renfield warns that his master will return that night, and he is proven right. The Prince of Darkness scales the asylum wall and breaks through the bars into Renfield's room. For conspiring against him, he snaps the madman's neck. With the asylum in a panic, Dracula turns to mist and enters Lucy's locked room. Using his strength, he bursts through the wall and carries her down the outside of the building. Van Helsing, Seward, and Harker pursue in Jonathan's car as Dracula carries Lucy back to Carfax where he shares his future plans with her.
4: Lucy, come. Come to me. Now, you must go on a bit longer as a creature of the sun. Only until we have left behind those who would destroy us. And then... Then you will join me on a higher plane, feeding on them. We will create more of our
0: kind, Lucy. In their car, our heroes pursue a wagon carrying a crate headed for the docks at Scarborough. Attempting to stop it, the horses throw the driver and their car is wrecked. They must make the rest of the journey on foot. Finally arriving at Scarborough, they find the ship has already set sail.
1: Van Helsing and Harker hire a boat to follow and are soon aboard the ship. They find the crate in the cargo hole below. Inside, they find Dracula and his would-be bride sleeping. Lucy fights Harker as he tries to remove her from the coffin. Dracula awakens as Van Helsing attempts to stake him and turns the table on his foe, running the professor through and pinning him to the ship's wall. Harker fires a pistol at Dracula with no effect. The Count moves in for the kill, throttling Harker, but a still-breathing Van Helsing makes one final effort— and throws a hanging hook at the vampire's back. It finds its mark, and Harker hits the winch control, sending the count up through the cargo hold and to the top of the sails. He flails and screams in the blazing sun, his body aging and burning. Lucy screams in anguish below.
0: When his body moves no more, Lucy's features return to normal. She looks up to see Dracula's cape fly away in the ocean breeze, and a smile crosses her lips. Okay. Well, right off the bat, you know you're going to get an A production because you got a John Williams, Williams score. score. Yeah. yeah. Uh I mean it's it's a great it's a great score. I mean, I think this, you know, it's probably in amongst, you know, Star Wars and in Indiana Jones and Superman. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of forgotten, but I mean it's it's a John Williams score, score. and it's it's great. Um uh, you know, Dracula films had become the domain of of pure B movies. By this point, I mean, because Hammer's later efforts, you know, they were diminishing returns. Yeah, it was just like a little. It's kind
1: of like making a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Right,
0: and certainly Christopher Lee felt that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, by the time they got to uh, the, you know, the seven uh, Dracula and the or the seven golden vampires, and you know, that Uh, I, I, you know, that that one, you know, was Christopher Lee. You
1: can't make me watch that again. I'm I'm telling you now I, I
0: like that one though. It's fun. No, just know. It's it's not as bad as, as as it would seem, really. But it it definitely lacks in because Christopher Lee's not in it.
1: We're not gonna talk about that <laughs> particular movie. Let's move on with
0: this one. <laughs> but yeah, so Dracula movies had definitely become the, the domain of B pictures. This was probably the first effort to kinda of give it a a more polished, you know. Uh, movie adaptation anywhere. There had been uh, a couple years before this was a BBC version with Louis Jordan which I have not seen that out here is very good so I'll have to watch that sometime. Director John Badham had just come off of Saturday Night Fever so needless to say he was hot in Hollywood at this time.
1: Right.
0: So can you imagine John Travolta as Dracula? <laughs> Children of the night. What music did they make?
3: <laughs> Mr. Carter.
1: <laughs> uh, lands.
0: Oh. Unlike the Legosi version, there are no added scenes in Castle Dracula. In that film, uh those provide the most lively, less stagey parts of the whole movie, but thankfully this movie doesn't suffer from trying to replicate the look of the, the stage. stage play, yeah, right. Right. Now blinking you'll miss Dracula's hairy, werewolf like hand as he burst out of the crate. On the ship. The idea of Dracula in a werewolf-like form will be fully exploited in the next big budget film of Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola.
1: Let's talk a minute about the fact of the ship's name, the Demeter. Yeah. Number one, that means renewal. Mm. Or, if you add an end to it, the Dementor. Mm. So I wonder if they were playing with that. Because- that was
0: That's from the book.
1: But I mean that both of those are true, you know. Demeter mm. was, you know, goddess of renewal, blah blah blah, you know. Mm. Yeah. And then you know, so.
0: Well, Dracula was. I mean the whole the whole point in the novel, what it's kind of I mean the the the, the idea is that this old scary European folklore is invading modern London,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so. In Dracula, you know, he's trying to leave this ancient, dried up area he's in for you know greener pastures, right, or redder right. pastures. So yeah. it makes sense, yeah. you know. Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, he, in Langella, even kind of says that in something like that in this movie. He says he can't live, and he couldn't live in a new home, so he likes Carfax. Right. But but uh, you know, he's he's basically looking for. He wants to, you know, be in amongst life, you know. Basically, you know, you get the idea that everyone in every Dracula film is scared. They know what he is. Mm -hmm. They stay away, you know. And, you know, he, you know, goes out and gets a meal here and there. But Mm -hmm. he wants stalking ground where he's not known. And, you know, it's fresh, fresh blood, you know, basically.
1: He wants hamburger on foot.
0: Right. (laughs) Uh, you know, one thing that always gets me: who, who wants to live above an asylum? I know it's in the book, but
1: ah, but you know, you know, people. So, some people live at the funeral home. You know, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, where your just, work is, yeah. and you know, where you're constantly on call, and
0: yeah, that's true. Now, this movie will make a Stoker scholar's head spin because you know it, it's. It, it, I brought this up when we did the the Christopher Lee, the the first Hammer movie, but I always like to see how they, you know, the Dracula novel is written from the journals of all these different characters, Uh and I mean, you do have a pretty big cast, and there's really, Bram Stoker's Dracula that we mentioned before is the only movie I know of where pretty much every character's in it, and they're pretty much the character from the book in one form or another.
1: Right. They're pretty
0: close to the character from the book. Now, this one, you know, it plays very fast and loose with with that. I mean, Dr. Seward still runs the asylum, but he's Lucy's father, not her suitor, one of her suitor, as in the book. Lucy is the primary female character instead of Mina. They switch those names, and, you know, they essentially trade places as far as the victims go. Right. Lucy is engaged to Harker, not Mina, because they switched it. And weirdest of all, Mina is Van Helsing's daughter. Yeah. Which is something that this is the only version of that that I know. That of. I
1: can think of. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you don't get any appearances by Arthur Holmwood Mm-mm. or Quincy Morris. Quincy Morris is always the guy that gets left out. He's the only guy that the the Texan. Yeah. That was played by the Rocketeer, uh, uh, Billy Campbell.
1: Right.
0: in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's he's the one that always gets left out. Uh um, blessed hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he's the one that actually in the book kills dracula you know so yeah. and in the well in the movie too he stabs him you know but uh the revamping dracula documentary on the dvd that we have points out that donald pleasance who plays uh, dr seward is known as a prop actor and he keeps a bag of sweets in his hands through this entire movie and huh. that guarantees that his eyes will always be on him and that they won't be able to cut around his scenes because he's actively doing something, you know. So, if they tried to cut, you know, and cut in and out on him, then it would, there'd be some weird continuity, continuity issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know that the guys on 1951 Down Place talk about Peter Cushing was always, they called him Props Cushing because now he was more concerned. He, he usually was fidgeting with something, but he was concerned with like, what his character would carry in their pockets. Like, what would Van Helsing... What all would Van Helsing have in his his suit coat, his pockets and things? Huh. And so he could pull them out and fiddle with them as need be in a scene. But Donald Pleasance, he's eating through this whole thing. He's not eating a, his candy. He's eating breakfast the next day after Mina dies. Yeah. And he's, like, got these real runny eggs and he's just, like, slurping them while he's talking. Oh. And, of course, Donald Pleasance...
1: I know Andrew's like, Ew. Yeah,
0: of course Donald Pleasant just like a year or two before this played Dr. Loomis in Halloween. Okay. And he actually was apparently offered the role of Van Helsing, but he thought it was too close to Dr. Loomis. He just played a monster hunter, oh, you know, and, gotcha, and, gotcha. uh, you know, the obsessed, of course Van Helsing a little less obsessed in this one, although he's got more of a reason to get obsessed in this one than in other versions, but he doesn't start out quite as obsessed. So, if you're a sickly person like Mina, why in the world would you run out into a horrid thunderstorm to check out a shipwreck?
1: (laughs) I mean, all she had to do was go, and I mean, there were servants all around and say, hey, I saw something out the window, you know, not run out there. And who wasn't watching? The butler is obviously falling down on his job, not seeing somebody going out the door, and especially where they live over And a sane asylum, you would think that all exits would be monitored at all times to make sure that the inmates didn't make their way out. Didn't
0: get out, yeah, yeah.
1: I consider that a plot issue.
0: Yeah, I did like that. Now, you also got a question. Okay, if you saw a wolf come off a ship, why would you follow that wolf? Now, later she says she thought it was a dog. Okay. Okay, maybe if you thought it was a dog, you might follow it. But I do like the way they do the the um, you know when she finds Dracula he's got like a a fur coat. coat, yeah, and his hand like comes out under the fur of the coat like it's almost like he's just transformed yeah. and you see his two fingers like reach her hand, and Langella said on that documentary that he came up with the two finger thing as a way of mimicking a bat's claws,
5: mm.
0: as you know, the bat'll have the two, two the yeah. two fingers and then the rest are part of his wing like as yeah. they stretch out into. You know, think think Man Bat, you know, like on the animated series. And, um, you know, so I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I can't help it every time I see Trevor I, Eve as Jonathan Harker, and he looks like Jeff Foxworthy. I'm sorry there's something about him.
1: You might be a redneck <laughs> if you drive a newfangled automobile. <laughs>
0: If you wear a black cape with a high collar, you might be a vampire.
2: Yes. <laughs> was bad. Head on down to Golden Corral.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Biggest buffet in the USA. Uh, Let it go. I know. Okay. Sorry. Renfield here is Milo, not RN Renfield, and he apparently was the previous owner of Carfax Abbey, which, but somehow he's kept on as.
1: See, I was.
0: That's a little foggy. Like yeah. he he says something about you stole my house from underneath me. to well, harker.
1: I kind of think. I mean, they just needed a throwaway line that Renfield lost his house. You know, lost, you know, like it had been in his family, and maybe he lost it due to poverty because it was obviously in disrepair and right. stuff like that. Yeah. And but he still, you know, maybe he was able to keep as caretakers stay on that's kind of how I right got on there because it wouldn't be uncommon because if he was already a nut job which I think he was yeah then he might have lost his money you know due to drug use or you know gambling or what have you and you know yeah. it wouldn't be uncommon for a lord or whatever to have an abbey
0: right well I think it's interesting you know Renfield in the book He's just this madman at the asylum that they focus on. Right. I mean, he's not connected to anything else. And, of course, in the original um, movie, the Lugosi movie, he's the guy that goes to Castle Dracula. Right. And he goes insane on the ship, you know, as played by Dwight Fry. And then they kind of, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, they kind of do that same thing, but he'd already been there, come back, and was nuts. Yeah. He had been the solicitor that had went before Keanu, yeah, Jonathan Harker, Ted, Look, Ted Theodore Logan's Dracula, <laughs> uh, Doctor. But anyway, but, uh,
1: <laughs> but you know that's just a where they you know, and it's Carfax Abbey. If they had just said Carfax Manor.
0: Yeah, well, Carfax Abbey was, you know... I know, I
1: know, but where they added the fact that it belonged to Renfield... You yeah, know? it was kind of strange.
0: Have... Maybe if they just said he was a tenant there, that he lived there... And or didn't, something. ...and didn't I... own it, but the, the landlord let him stay on as, you know... But uh, he didn't do a very good job of taking care of that Perfect. place. No. And they said that the Carfax, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's so ornate and elaborate, these giant faces and... And they said they based it off of some mad king or something that some European yeah. lord or king that had actually had his house, his home, mansion, castle, whatever, done that style. Yeah. These giant faces and and I mean, it's I mean, it you know, it, it screams Dracula lives here. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, They didn't need Castle Dracula in this movie because yeah, Carfax definitely you know looks enough like what you would think. And
1: how would? I still have yet to figure out how a vampire could live in an abbey because of the whole, you know, religious, da-da-da-da, you know.
0: I well, I guess it was, you know, maybe it was, uh, what they call it, deconsecrated or whatever, oh, whatever yeah. they call it. That's I don't know what they call it. But. I don't
1: know. I've always wondered about that, but anyway. You know, I there's, I there's
0: things like that, that that always jump out at me, like um, there's one of the Hammer movies. I think it's, uh, I think it's Dracula has risen from the grave, it starts out with the bell. They go to ring the bell in the church, and there's a woman hanging upside down inside the bell that Dracula's killed. Well, how the heck did Dracula set foot in the church to kill her? You know, I mean, or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's that's kind of you know things like that. Which we get, we'll get into like the religious iconography. There's some interesting things going on with that in this movie.
1: Yeah, true.
0: That, that we'll get into. There's a quick cutaway. As Dracula takes off with his cape when he attacks Renfield and the next scene he's a bat. It's probably for the best because, you know, it might look a little hulky, but it it's so quick. I I just want to see more of that cape because he spreads it out. He looks like Batman. Yeah. I mean it's like, you know, almost looks like, you know, Michael Keaton in the first movie when he pops his cape out or something, you know. Well,
1: remember I had that um custom Barbie made out of um the James Bond figure with that cape.
0: Right, yeah. And that's
1: what it's based on, which is kind of funny <coughs> considering you've got the James Bond scene later in it. So, Well, it's that's true, James yeah. yeah. And he has
0: the, the, the one you had has the, the piratey, blousey well, that, shirt.
1: Well, it was um, Pirates of the Caribbean shirt, pants, boots, then the cape I commissioned, and then the figure itself is the Pierce Brosnan James Bond kin.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I think it's interesting, too, it, you know, when you first see Dracula, you know, the that the guy introduces you know Count Dracula, and he, he like rushes, he like rushes into the scene like right up into the camera, which is the same thing Christopher Lee did. Uh-huh. Remember that he come down the stairs and come right up into the camera and introduced himself. So thought that was kind of interesting. It's like this that, that's it's a way for the I don't know if it was the actor, the director, or a combination of both, but it's a way that like both. Come in and just dominate I, the screen. Yes, most and it just
2: definitely. shows
0: like how commanding they are. I I thought that was neat. You, you know, really, if you look at it, Langella's approach isn't really all that different from Lugosi's because both play the count as very charming, persuasive type. Uh, Langella's more you know romantic, really, with it. But that's partially because you know he was able to add the sensual, sensuality to it. Because of the changing mores of the times. And what was
1: acceptable. What was
0: acceptable. And he played down the strange factor that Lugosi... You know, Lugosi played that kind of... Played up the alien, I'm from a different country, I have different ways, kind of factor. Whereas, you know, Lugosi... I mean, Langella just played it as, you know, here's this, you know, handsome, you know, dark-eyed, you know, good-looking guy come in. And, you know, he's, he's royalty and, you know, I mean... You know, he's he's got it going on, you know. <laughs> so, of course, uh, Frank Langella has some superhero cred. He played Perry White in Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. And he was Skeletor in the Master of the Universe movie. And I think it's so cool because you would think that he, you know, he has had a very distinguished career.
5: Right.
0: And uh, he's won Tony Awards and everything else. You would think that he would look at Skeletor as like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. That's... He says that's one of his favorite roles he ever played because his son was a huge He-Man fan at the time. Yeah. And he ran around the house saying, Oh, I have the power, you know. <laughs> and so he thought it was so cool that his dad was Skeletor. So... And he was the best part of that movie, you know, which, you know, that movie's... You know, I kind of like that movie, but it's so... It's such a weird... It's not really a... It's... It, like people have said, it's like a New Gods movie that's masquerading as a He-Man movie. I don't
1: I I've
0: ever seen it. It's on Netflix. We'll have to watch it all the way through.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, it's the Skeletor, I mean, he's great at Skeletor. I mean, he's chewing up scenery left and right, you know, and they actually got a pretty good makeup on him. So, you know, he, that, when I first found out that, I didn't even know it was Frank Langella at first. I'm like, really? That's him? <laughs> so now he also played Zorro in a 1974 remake of the Mark of Zorro. And I have not seen that one Since around the same time I first saw this Dracula, which was on a Saturday afternoon TV matinee in the 80s on like, you know, Channel 19 out of Cincinnati. So so that's another hero credit for him. And oddly enough, Duncan Rager, who played Dracula in the Monster Squad, also played Zorro in that Family Channel TV series. So there's this weird Dracula, Zorro. They look good in black, I guess. I don't know. But anyway. So you know this stuff better now. what is that dopey-ass dance that Harker and Lucy are doing in the party? They, like, peck each other on the lips, turn their faces side to side, and do this weird squatting, humping motion thing. Did you catch that?
1: I don't know. <laughs> that, was, I, uh,
0: that was, like, the weirdest...
1: Some Regency bullcrap, who knows. Yeah,
0: I mean, and then, of course, Dracula, you know, really, you know, cuts a rug with, with Lucy.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And, you know, Harker's just over there fuming. I mean, you know, which you can't really blame him. She's pretty flirty.
1: Oh, you yeah. Know, for... I mean, if I did something like that, you'd jerk a knot in my butt.
0: <laughs> Especially for the time. I know. know.
1: That's what I'm saying.
0: Which, I mean, they, they, they do try to portray Lucy. She's a progressive type, you know.
1: She's a slut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, tell it like it is, girl. Well, well, he does have persuasive powers now.
1: She's already banging Harker. I mean, come on. (laughs) Then she gives it up to Dracula too, like the next day. Oh, I love you. I'm going to marry you. We're engaged to be married. Oh, wait, but he's from
2: Transylvania. Come on, baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh, oh. So speaking of which, does Jonathan live there or does he just stay there when he's not in London? I I think that's think more that's, the case. Yeah, that's because that's kind of interesting. Now, I think one thing I think is really cool about this movie that they that they now I think they did do this in the one Hammer film I have not seen, *Scars of Dracula*, which is going to be on TCM, and I'm very excited that I'm going to get to finally see that movie because I'm too cheap to pay 20 bucks to buy it because I've actually heard it's not all that great, but I still want to see it. But anyway. So one thing they do in this that's left out of a lot of Dracula movies is he scales up and down the walls, right? Like in the novel. novel. Oh, it's
1: they do this really well.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean they they do. I mean it's it 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 looks really well done, and and uh, now Langella said, you know he he said he was afraid that audiences would laugh at Dracula upside down outside Mina's window, but. I think that really adds to the bizarre nature of the character because you—he's scratching at the glass with his bat-like yeah. claws and he—he, he, you know, he—he sc- he scrapes the molding away and then knocks the glass out. Yeah, knocks,
2: knocks and, the
0: paint out. And then you—you look and you—and it's like just him upside down. Of course, he said they just—they filmed it right side up, just flipped it. Yeah. You know, yeah. but so that way his hair didn't look bad because you know he's got that perfect quaffed of hair. You know, it's—it was Well, and
1: otherwise his cape would have been up over his head. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's true too. Of course, Mina is both slightly, very slightly scared at first, but not really repulsed, really. But she's quickly excited by Dracula's arrival. But much well, like
1: that's why she's not going to die a virgin.
0: Well, that's that's, that's true. <laughs> well, that's true. You know, in the Hammer movies, there was kind of this, there was kind of this more like, oh, 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 oh. You know, that's, yeah. that's a, but in this one, it's just like a brief, oh. Oh, hey. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, I get, but that's probably the difference. You know, Christopher Lee's kind of a little scarier, and, you know, yeah. Frank Langella's more, you know, smooth. Dr- he's shrimp smooth, you know, so, you know. I always got a question, but why did Renfield suddenly want to eat bugs? Did, did Dracula kind of make him a vampire? Did he just hypnotize him? And I've always kind of wondered about that, why he goes from, you know, he wants, he, is it because he's like, He's he's he thinks he's a vampire. Is he like junior vampire and training in his head? Or you know, I've always wondered that because
1: I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's just
0: Renfield's just there to be the crazy character, or that, maybe
1: because I mean he was already nutters before. Maybe this is just you know fractured his mind that much more.
0: Yeah, that's I'm always interested in Renfield because you know Dwight Fry was great, and then you got Tom Waits and the Bram Stokers. <laughs> Basta! No, no. I just it's just he cracks me up. Of course, he's crazy anyway. Now Mina's death—you know, there's many things about Mina that are disturbing. Uh-huh. But as she expires on camera, that's actually pretty. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's a believable death yeah, scene. how she did that. Yeah,
0: she's like she can't breathe, and it's like and and she just like dies right there in front of him, and you really get the shock of 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 Lucy that that you know that she died. You know. <laughs> The scene where Jonathan goes to to Carfax and to get to drop Dra-
1: off the papers, the papers,
0: Dracula's just basically like flaunting his face. Yeah, I'm gonna send you out of town, and I'm hitting on your woman. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's just like. And what
1: kills me is Harker's like,
0: well, we, we okay. got this pissy look on his face, but, but he's that just, was you know, you know, I mean, but you know, I guess he figures, well, he's my client, and you know, he's a count, and you know, but it's just like he gives him a dirty look, but you I know, I mean, I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, go ahead and use her, but don't leave her too messy. That's
0: what you get. <laughs> Let her sell her wild oats so I can marry her and get this over with, you know. I mean, so you know. Get guess, it out of her system. Yeah. Was, wow. Okay.
1: I'm sorry. I'm just kind of.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we know how you how you feel about uh, Lucy now, so okay. <laughs> of course, it was quite a coup to get Sir Lawrence Olivier to play Van Helsing, And apparently he was eager to play the role, but he had health issues at the time, and he required a body double to shoot Mm -hmm. many of the long shots in the film. And if you...
1: How close was this to his death?
0: He lived for like another 10 years, so... Okay, I was
1: going to say It
0: wasn't, he, but he was having a, apparently at the time he was having something where he bled real easily, oddly enough, in a Dracula movie. So, I mean, he would just like, like the, the back of his scalp and stuff would start bleeding and things, so it was just... Huh. Yeah, he wasn't in he wasn't in good health. So, like we said, everything to do with the undead Mina ends up being quite disturbing, but I mean the the fact that they not only kill a baby but you see it is yeah. just of course I mean there's all, you know, the whole that's that's in the book about Dracula, you know, Dracula gets a baby, brings it to the bride Rats, that's in the yeah. Bram Stoker's movie and which is always just ugh, you know. And you you know they established this this Annie there with the baby, you know, through the movie already. So It kinda
1: surprised me. I mean, I guess not considering the time, but they would let an you know, an asylum inmate keep the baby there. Right. But, I mean, I don't know if that was practice or you know you know, what the deal was with well, the, you know you, the actual history. You
0: got the impression that, you know, they even said at the beginning that one thing when Lucy came to the asylum the night of the shipwreck was that she was coming to help with the baby? Mm. So like they they she basically had the baby, but the baby was essentially like kind of like the ward of the asylum,
2: yeah. I
0: guess, which you know makes it even worse. So, you know, I, I know I know Dracula has hypnotic powers, but it sure doesn't take long for Lucy to give in to him. I mean, you, you know. know what I said? I know.
1: <laughs> and again, she's a slut. She's not a whore because she ain't getting paid. <laughs> There is the difference.
0: I mean, she's like he. He even says something. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because you kind of wonder how much he really is persuading her. Because he even says now that I think about it, he says he's like, if my company should ever become uh, unwelcome to you, it's um, it's something that it's it's your own fault basically. He's basically warning her, don't get too close to me now. Yeah, and she's like, I came of my own accord. Yeah, you know, so it makes like okay, well, maybe he isn't really working on mm-hmm. her too much. Maybe he's just she got the freak on for him. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, I think the scene of Dracula riding up on horseback is is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean they they obviously know it's cool because it's a slow mo of him riding, but that's something new. I don't think we ever saw Dracula, you know, ride up on a horse before, so that's kind of cool. It was kind of you know the scene after that when Van Helsing and Lucy go into the house. And Van Helsing looks outside and Dracula's horse is like, you know, it's, I I don't know, I'm not a horse guy, so I don't know the horse terminology, but it's basically taking its hooves and, and, and stomping at the grave. Uh It's almost like he's like calling her forward, which he's already been out, obviously. Right. But, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, they don't, is is it some kind of, is it some, some kind of vampire ritual that he's doing? As her master, you know, or is it just, I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. You can, you can interpret it like many things in this movie. You can interpret it several different ways. So, and of course, Lucy takes off her crucifix and just waits. So, you know, uh, you know, uh, then we cut back to Van Helsing and Seward in the cemetery. And
1: that does not make sense. That there's a cemetery over a mine. I mean, think about it. I mean, you'd constantly be hitting that, or when that, you know, digging. I mean, that no, just no.
0: Yeah, I mean, just imagine, you know, the guy, the workers in the mine, just you know. I mean, you can't. I mean, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I mean, how many. Coffins would just fall through the ground. I mean, you know, it's you know,
1: (laughs) you know, either somebody's digging up too high or somebody's digging up down too low, and
0: yeah, or just shaking things up too much. Yeah, and just yeah, that didn't make a hole. And
1: naturally, the your ground settles if there's something on top of it, right? Because when you you know when you first bury something, it's going to start at say six feet under, right? But it gradually shifts over time so it right. gradually just go through
0: right and i mean they established the mine earlier they show some mine workers like one morning right. like so they established that the mine's there which i think is good but, but it doesn't the hole make any in the sense.
1: coffin opens up on the side of the coffin <sighs> into the open mine right
0: yeah that, that no yeah <laughs> Then we cut back to the boudoir scene of, of Dracula and Lucy, and we get the infamous laser show. Mm-hmm. Uh, director Badham said he wanted to do something with lasers in Saturday Night Fever, but the technology was new, and it was too unwieldy at the time. They were too huge. By the time they got around to Dracula, they were smaller units they could use, and they actually borrowed one from The Who.
5: who the were band.
0: The band The Who, who were on tour, and they... So he said they in the documentary he said they could use it as long as they could get it all done on like a Sunday while they weren't doing a show. show. So they brought in Morris Bender, who had created all the openings uh, for the James Bond films, to help out. And it definitely looks like some kind of oh, yeah, James Bond opening with you know half naked people and lights and mm-hmm. silhouettes and and it. You know,
1: it does not fit with the rest of the film.
0: No, Franklin Jealous has never liked it, saying it doesn't fit with the film. And and I I agree, it doesn't. To me, it the movie sets up a very good. It's a very well done gothic setting, gothic
1: region. And I mean, you
0: get a little. You get a little bit of it in the title sequence. You get a little bit of the with like the bat flying around. It's fine in the title sequence. But, but in the middle the of a movie, movie I mean, there's yeah. not even been a James Bond movie where that happens in the middle of it. No. So, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's just, it's it's this weird expressionistic, and it's very 70s. It's very, very 70s. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it dates the film in that segment. And his his saying was, well, it was a vampire wedding. That's the way he looked at it. Have you ever been to a vampire wedding? How do you know what they're like? Which... Okay, but it's still, you know, it still doesn't work.
1: I'm noping out of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, they follow that up with the creepiest segment in the whole film. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And it's probably the scariest scene in in just about any Dracula film I know of. Right. And that's the undead Mina. I mean, it's just, (sighs) I mean, she's, I mean, just her eyes are black and she's got like blood gunk coming out of her mouth, mouth. and she's uh, saying papa papa uh, and she's speaking in dutch yeah. and it's just oh it's just and she looks almost like linda blair and the exorcist or something and it's just Ugh. it's unnerving the first time i watched this again after not seeing it in years i mean that part like like oh shit you know what yeah. i mean it kinda, it's like i wasn't expecting was i'll kind of skip
1: over but, yeah you know?
0: i was i wasn't expecting that Uh, you know, I'm not really sure why Mina would look so decomposed after only a few days after her death and, and while later she looks normal, but I don't care. It works. And, and to me, you know, I
1: almost take it as the fact is when she's feeding, that's what she looks like versus when mm. she's at rest. That's, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could go with that. You know, you know, the, to me, it captures the horror of seeing a reanimated loved one, Better than just about any other movie. Mm. I mean, you get a little bit of that in um in the in the original Hammer movie with uh Michael Goff and that movie Lucy is his sister. Oh yeah. And yeah. and uh which, you know, again, messing around and, and he's very you know, the fact that he has to watch Van Helsing, you know, take her out. And then of course you got the scene in Bram Stoker with uh with uh, uh Carrie Elway's mm-hmm. being Homewood and having to you know, staker and everything. But, I mean, they go so overboard with the gore and blood. Oh, yeah. yeah and and that,
1: blood fountain. And, 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 and where
0: she know. goes backwards into the coffin and it's creepy, but to me, this is just more disturbing, especially yes. with the whole Popeye angle. And, and then and then Van Helsing, you know, she she falls on the stake he has. Yeah,
1: I mean, he doesn't stake her. She falls onto the She turns, the stake. Yeah. like
0: to go back to him as Seward's warding her away and, and he, she impales herself, mm-hmm. and then she falls into him, saying "Papa," you know, and and he's, and of course Lawrence Olivia is just, he starts weeping, and it's 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 well, just, of course, of course he does. I mean, it's just it's like you really get the just the 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 the, the uncomfortable horror of, of something like that if you ever had to to, to deal with it. So now, you know you get the impression that Dracula's getting really cocky by this point because, you know, well, after he the, probably
1: thought he was going to have to convince Lucy and she's all into it. So, you know. yeah, <laughs> well,
5: yeah. Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah. So, cause he comes to Van Helsing and you know, why would you come to him like that other than to taunt him? Mm-hmm. Or maybe he thought he could bend his wheel real easy and he would kind of, you know, get rid of all these, you know, garlic and things he's trying to put around that he's onto him, you know? uh but the confrontation between those two is 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 really good and it doesn't disappoint and you always want a strong dracula van helsing confrontation i mean i'm not saying they're christopher lee and peter cushing but cuz you know nobody right, is right. But, but but you know but this van helsing's obviously not you know peter cushing's run around jump on pull the curtains down van helsing but i mean it's it's very you know it's very well done and and they they have a good chemistry as rivals you know, hanging a scene with Lawrence Olivier, you're pretty good. You know, so <laughs> they're gonna remove Mina's heart. That's different mm-hmm. versus decapitating her. Or, you know,
1: well, her. Ev- you know, there's so many different versions about how to get rid of a vampire. You know,
0: well, you know, if you go by that Batman book, cutting her heart out ain't going any good. Doing any good because you can stick it in a clock, right? Yeah, so. that's right. That <laughs> Gustav de Cobra. <laughs> or Christopher Lee. <clears throat> Uh, now, you know, Lucy, you know, we've seen in other movies, Lucy or Mina, whichever one becomes in Dracula's thrall without becoming a vampire. We've seen them do, you know, we've seen various degrees of how much they're under Dracula's influence. But I think Lucy here goes farther than just about anybody. I mean, you know, there's, there's moments in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula where, where, um, uh, shit, uh, Winona Ryder. Thank you. I couldn't I know, think I of her name either. I mean, uh, every Winona Ryder Our movie, movie was... flashed in my head, including Star Trek, where she plays Amanda in the 09 one for like two seconds. But uh, you know, I couldn't think of her name. But you know, she's but she's more back and forth. You know, as some minutes she's under Dracula's influence and she's not with Lucy. I mean, she's pretty much. Oh yeah. She's all in, man. She's she's pretty much. She's all about, you know, she's Team Dracula, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Now Makes we
1: kind of wonder what Harker's lacking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, uh, this brings us to a you know uh, uh, interesting point. Harker pulls when they go into the crypt. And, you know, Dracula's got that, you know, great line. He's like, you know, how many people have come up against me? I'm the king of my kind, you know. And he's like, you know, and I mean, you're like, damn. He's like, you're messing with the wrong guy, sucker. And Harker pulls out the cross, and Dracula just grabs it. I know. And it catches fire. So, is Dracula able to grab it because Harker doesn't have the will or the faith? Or is it just because Dracula's like, I don't give a crap. I'll burn with you.
1: I know. You 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 wonder, because... They have said that in other Dracula movies, you know, when somebody's held up the cross and they're like, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the conviction to back it up, it's just a piece of wood or metal or what have you. Right. And, you know, and then also, like he said, he is the king of his kind. So can he overcome that because he has centuries of power that he can do that?
0: You know, it's interesting because um, Van Helsing pulled out that little... Just that little, I don't know exactly what you call it, but it was a little... Like uh,
1: card with a cross card on Card
0: with a cross on it, a little handle, and it had an image of a cross. It was an actual cross, and that warded him off. Right. But Harker hold an actual wooden cross.
1: See, I think it's a matter of conviction in that
0: right. case. Right. Yeah, if, if if Van Helsing had it in would his hand, it would have mm-hmm. been different. And I think it's, you know, there's... there's um, Again, I brought up um, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, the Hammer movie. In that movie... Uh, the hero in it is an atheist and he that now Christopher Lee did not like this because they go he stakes Dracula and they come up with this new wrinkle that you got to say a prayer over top of it or they can he can remove the stake and Dracula removes the stake from himself which Christopher Lee thought that was total apocryphal Dracula shouldn't ever be able to remove a stake from himself. Yeah. he That pissed him off really bad. Uh, and he bitched about it forever afterwards. Good friend. But it's, uh, yeah, well, he, t- he, t- he took it seriously, the role, even when others didn't, you know, and and tried to follow the book even when nobody else would, as best he could. But, you know, so I'll, I'm always interested in, of course, like we brought up before, uh, sometimes it's uh, maybe if you're Jewish, it's the Star of David. Right, will ward off a vampire. It doesn't have to be a Christian. Uh, it Himmel, just has to be yeah. some kind of symbol of of faith. good, of yes. faith, and and something you have conviction in. And there was something somebody. Uh, what was it? Was it, maybe it was on Monster? It was either on Monster Kid Radio or 1951 Down Place because it was something with Derek and Cook. And they were talking about there was this. Um, it was a guest of theirs. I think it was probably Monster Kid Radio. But they were saying that there was a book. Uh, it was, it was that one guy that's, I think the guy that wrote the Dracula tape, Sam Bergen, or I can't think of the guy's name, but it was a story where Dracula or a vampire come up against these, uh, these rich yuppie types. And they tried to pull a cross on him and he's like, yeah, that doesn't mean nothing. Cause you don't believe in it, but they, they threw money at him. They had money in their hands and it warded him off because they believed in the almighty dollar. Weird. So their money was their religion, and that warded them off. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So that's, that's, I always think that's interesting. Yeah. You know, how they, the different the different ways they interpret that. So it's thought, you know, I I think that's pretty neat. I would actually be interested in, in reading that. I wish I could remember exactly what that was. But So Dracula, you know, he turns into a bat. We've seen it a couple times. The bat effects are actually pretty well done for uh-huh. the most part. There's a couple of little chintzy spots here and there, but nothing too bad. I mean, right. especially for the time, it's all practical effects. Certainly looks better than anything we saw in a Universal or a Hammer movie before. So, you know, and and then Harker gets his face all jacked up and looks pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, which I mean, you know, I guess this is one of those cases where a bite, you know, in some movies, a vampire bite, you're screwed, you're a vampire. Yeah. You know, unless you cauterize the wound like Peter Cushing did. Because he's a
5: bad butt. Because he's badass.
0: But, uh, but, and this one, apparently not. So, it's, uh, I think it's interesting that they, that in the in the DVD documentary, again, I don't know if you caught this, but they point out that, that the costume that Kate Nelligan has as Lucy in the, in her cell, in the asylum, it's this gray, kind of chiffon-looking deal, in her...
1: Oh, yeah, she's, she's got the draped arms to where it looks like wings. looks like yeah. bat
0: wings, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, or, you know, almost spider web or a bat yeah. wing, and almost looks like the old spider-man you know web yeah. under webs uh but uh i think that's actually pretty neat and and you know speaking of costumes really to talk about dracula um i think they do a good job of of you know dracula's in black he's dressed you know as you would think somebody that's of royalty would but he's not in the you know the opera tuxedo, tuxedo because even by that point it was a cliche.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so he's not dressed like Bela Lugosi and they go for more of a piratey look, which, you know, with the, the the especially when he comes to seduce her, he's just got, he's got the cape. He's got that like little, almost like a ascot type thing going on across the his cape and uh, he's got the blousy, piratey mm-hmm. shirt and that of course, that. You know, that looks like a Harlequin romance novel. But he
1: came from the sea. He came but, into their lives by the sea. That's where I kind of...
0: Well, and he ends up... Dies on a ship, so, too. Yeah,
1: but, you know, that's kind of how...
0: Dies on a ship, yeah. And, you know, last time we had Oliver Reed and his flouncy shirt is yeah. the Leon. So, you know, it's uh, blousy shirts and monsters just go together. So, uh, <laughs> I I really thought, you know, the scene where Lucy she, you know, vamps out and, and tries to attack Jonathan and Van Helsing takes a cross to her and then she, she starts changing back to normal and just starts weeping and she takes the crucifix from him and cradles it and just cries in her bed. Yeah. Like I thought that was, you know, that's the first, that first indication that you get that she really is struggling. Part of her is at least struggling against this, you know. A little. A little. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, you almost feel sorry for Renfield. I mean he's he's kind of an unnecessary pawn in this whole film, mm-hmm. really. I mean it's you know, if you really could have cut him out almost and I guess he had to mm-hmm. get the 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 dirt to the you know, the coffins full of crates full of to dirt. Carfax. Carfax yeah. somehow. You know, ending the action on the ship rather than in Transylvania. Gives the film its own flavor versus other Dracula adaptations. You know, it doesn't end at Castle Dracula like most versions. I didn't like Van Helsing getting staked. Uh, but at least he got to, you know, hook Dracula, you know, mm-hmm. and and but I'd rather have seen Harker buy it. Oh know? yeah,
1: because you know, you know, she's just gonna go on to the next one. On to the next one, on to the next one. <laughs> In the words of Selena Gomez, <laughs> on to the
0: next one. <laughs> Langella said he didn't really like the ending, and he would have rather have seen Dracula just fade away into dust or something. I guess kind of like Nosferatu, yeah, or something. But I, I, I think it's you know, of course, it gives you that action ending, you know, and 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 I, I think it's cool because you get the impression that he's growling and yelling at the sun as it's you know like it's it's disintegrating him. And it's his
1: enemy. You it's know? his
0: enemy, but he's not like, oh God, no, he's not caring from it. He's like screaming at it. Yeah. You know, it's like, you son of you know, I mean yeah, I mean he's he's cussing and fighting at it the whole time, which I think is is uh is actually, you know, pretty pretty cool way to go. Uh you know I think
1: it was a little long myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think they could have maybe the 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 what they did with the makeup and stuff was pretty cool, but I think Maybe it's because we've gotten so used to the Hammer movies where he just disintegrates into something really nasty. I kind of wish they went a little further with with what he turned into. But, you know, but then you get the whole... But then, of course, this is a romantic Dracula and he's supposed to be handsome and everything. So I can kind of see why they wouldn't go too gory with it at the end. Of course, there's that ambiguous ending with the cape. Or is it the cape or is it him that flies away? And, you know, you get that look on Lucy's face. Yeah. And she smiles. And Batam has postulated that maybe Lucy's carrying Dracula's baby, you know, or maybe she knows he'll come back or, you know, so either way, she seems confident that he got away somehow. So the ending, I I mean, I do like the ambiguous ending, if you watch the Cape. it's kind of hypnotic watching the cape fly away and it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller in the frame, you know. It's just like, you know, it's just actually pretty cool. This film, you know, it seems like kind of like the opinion of this film's kind of changing. I think for a while it was dismissed by horror purists because it was too romantic, you know. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's the point of it. It's, it's a, I think it's a valid point to explore, you know, even though Dracula wasn't, ever this romantic in the novel but in the play they they obviously they changed they had to change the character somewhat to function in the play and you know in every version of the play there has been that romantic angle and like we said as times have changed of course they can up the the sex factor and
5: right you know
0: and and so it's it's an you know it's 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 a valid way to go and uh and I think they did a really good job with it. And, I, and like I said, I first saw this on TV probably sometime in the mid to late '80s. And I, I think uh, the thing I remember most about it was the scene at the, sh- the, the, the how it ended with him on the ship. Mm. I, I mean, I just remember that him just flailing back and forth and screaming and yelling at the sun. You do get a couple of scenes of the sun that use the kind of weird negative Laser Floyd yeah. thing that wasn't was unnecessary, like solar flares and stuff, but. I, up until we got the DVD a few years back, I hadn't seen it in decades, and, and I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, like I said, I was kind of one of those that said, yeah, that one's okay, but it's really too, you know, it's like the romance factor, and it's like, you know, the the sexy Dracula. And, yeah. But, you know, I, you know, now I appreciate it for what it is. Um, one bone of contention uh, that I found online, and I did not know this, is that director John Baden went back in when the movie was uh, put on Laserdisc and then DVD, and he actually desaturated the color palette. Hmm. Uh, He originally wanted it to have a very almost black and white-like look, but as released in theaters, it had a rich color palette, and it doesn't now
1: (laughs) on DVD. Uh, The desaturation, though, adds to the gothicness of it.
0: Yeah, it does, but it makes the laser part probably stick out even worse. Well, you're right. You're because right. if it was more in vivid color, that part wouldn't jump out at you so much.
2: True. Good point.
0: You know, but Very good point. I mean, I don't think it's like I, I haven't seen it. You know, I guess when I saw it on TV, it was the original version, but you know, it might have been a washed-out print then too.
1: Right.
0: Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that hope they'll put it eventually put it out on Blu-ray with like. The original color and this
1: director's cut. director's
0: cut version, yeah. You know, I think Langella. You know, he gives a real powerful performance. I, I, it's subtle and nuanced, which isn't something you'd expect, expect from Dracula. He said he approached the character as nobility with a social problem. Uh, and you know, and it works within this version. You know, right. he's he, you know he doesn't he doesn't see him as a monster, and that's one reason why he doesn't have fangs. He doesn't have contacts, just like Lugosi, You never see his fangs. Now Lucy and Mina have them, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. You know, you know. I, I mean, that's the way he wanted to play it. And honestly, you know, you, oh, never, you don't miss it. You never no. miss it. Yeah, you know, you you get the impression that Dracula actually loves Lucy as much as he can love anyone. Like he picks her. He he thinks she's above the you know, the average woman, you know, and he's kind of picked her as his bride, maybe not his only bride, but...
1: But he does say that she will be above all others.
0: Right. But he never comes across as weak or any less commanding or threatening. And, you know, the fact that he so easily persuades others to follow him makes him even scarier than, like, a figure of pure horror in a way. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he just... He comes in and totally wrecks these people's lives, you know. And, you know... I'm not trying to beat up on it, but if you compare it to the next big budget portrayal, you know, Gary Oldman's Dracula, he's kind of all over the place because, and this is no fault of his, he does a good job, but, you know, you got the ancient boogeyman at the beginning of the movie. With the baboon butt hair. Baboon butt hair, yeah. You've got the the pure monster that's the bat monster and the werewolf yep. type creature, and you got the love sick suitor that's crying in his bat face, you know. Yeah. And, you know to me by comparison Langella's performance holds together better because we get a better understanding of who his particular Dracula is. Mm-hmm. He's consistent through the whole movie. Now the film performed well but it wasn't it didn't do exceptional box office and the a lot of the creators behind it blame Love at First Bite because it had come out in theaters just a few months earlier. That's the one with George Hamilton as Dracula oh, yeah, the yeah. comedy. And it was a spoof, of course, and it was a big hit. So, you had this very goofy comedy about Dracula. And then a few months later, you have this big-budget, lavish Dracula. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they'd come out with this big-budget, lavish Dracula first, first, you know, it probably would have done better. So, yeah, you wanted to do this one. I mean, do you? Uh, how do you rank this amongst Dracula movies?
1: It's one of those, I mean... We've talked about the parts that we liked. We talked about, you know, it's it's one of those cases where he is evil, but there's also that part, and he's not a love he's not a lovesick fool, but he's still capable of love.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, he's in between Bram Stoker with Oldman, and between you know Hammer, where you've got you know Christopher Lee being just. Completely evil. He's just right there in the middle.
0: Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I think he's got. I think they. You know. They added some dimension to him without diminishing the the commanding horrific part of him. Mm -hmm. You know. And and you know and and I think it it you know the fact that he is this he does play him as this completely strange creature you know that this is how he this is how he gets by this is how he lives mm-hmm. this is what he has to do and he is nobility and he's used to getting what he wants you know and uh i think that's a that's a good angle to 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 go with and and i enjoy this one quite a bit i i still i think my favorite dracula movie is still the first hammer the first well one. but but uh you know i the more i watch this one the more i like it and the more I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm glad we got to watch it and talk about it. So, well, that'll do it for Dracula and uh, our movie. And when we come back, we will go into the crypt because this is a DC comic. So we're going into the crypt, not the attic. Going to the crypt of the House of Franklin Oh, Okay. Into the dusty long box and pull out a comic featuring a vampire.
2: listeners, it's your friend PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of swamp thing, dead man, the specter, and more. The podcasting hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware.
3: Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin.
2: Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting.
0: Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John Drew. On my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series, on the Batcave Podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series. There's a new episode every two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at the BatcavePodcast.com.
2: Holy memoranda, folks! Make a note not to miss it. Good thinking,
4: Robin. (laughs)
0: Okay, we're back and as we said we've ventured down into the crypt we've you know went through the cobwebs and the spiders and bats and and speaking of bats and we've pulled out I wish we would pull out Detective Comics number 31 from September 1939 because if I had Detective Comics number 31 from this September 1939 I'd be a happy camper this uh, comic went on sale August 10th 1939 And, of course, if it's Detective Comics after number 27, it's about Batman. Mm -hmm. The classic cover by Bob Kane, we think, anyway, shows a symbolic (laughs) figure of Batman looming large over a fog-shrouded mountain castle. In the foreground, a figure in a red hood and robes with a skull and crossbone on his chest carries an unconscious blonde woman. The cover copy reads, Powerful and awesome, the mysterious Batman again appears to oppose the evil forces of a terrifying master of crime known as the Monk. The story is, for our purposes, called Batman vs. the Vampire Part 1. It didn't have a title, but that's the title that the comic historians in DC Comics have chosen to give it in reprints. Writer was Gardner F. Fox with Bill Finger. Pencils, Bob Kane. Inks, Bob Kane and Sheldon Moldoff. The Batman, weird menace to all crime, at last meets an opponent worthy of his mettle. A strange creature, cowed like a monk, of possessing the powers of a Satan, a man whose powers are uncanny, whose brain is the product of years of intense study and seclusion.
1: Batman stalks the streets of New York, and he spots a strange woman approaching a frightened man. The woman tells him she has been sent by the Master Monk. Pulling the man to safety with his silken rope, Batman recognizes the woman as his, or Bruce Wayne's, fiancée, Julie Madison. Julie awakens as if out of a trance, and the mysterious dark night drives her home.
0: The next morning, Julie relates her story to Bruce, who advises her to see Dr. Trent. Trent warns her that she seems to have been a victim of hypnotism, and advises her to take a cruise to Paris, and then on to Hungary, land of werewolves. Bruce notes that Trent seems to be hypnotized himself. Despite his reservations, Bruce books Julie on her cruise and sees her off.
1: Back at the Wayne Mansion, he changes to Batman and tries out the latest weapons in his arsenal, his batarang and flying bat gyro. Batman causes quite a panic as his bat-like plane flies to catch up with Julie's ship. Dropping on the ship via a rope ladder, Batman first spots Julie and then a mysterious hooded and robed figure in red known as the Monk. The Monk attempts to hypnotize Batman with his eyes, but Batman managed to throw his batarang to break the spell. He leaps back to his bat gyro and plans to follow the ship the rest of the way to Paris.
0: Batman searches Paris high and low, eventually finding Julie asleep in a castle-like building. Inside, he runs afoul of a giant ape who chases him into a giant net suspended over a den of snakes. The monk is there to gloat, but Batman throws his batarang, turning off the lever, lowering, lowering him into the pit and smashing a glass chandelier. He uses the falling glass to cut his way out of the net and pursues the monk, but a cage door falls between them. Then the monk lowers the giant ape in once again and tells Batman he's going to send Julie to Hungary to feed his werewolves.
1: Batman swings on the rope that lowered the ape in and takes out an armed guard with his batarang. He makes his way to the Bat Gyro and follows a car speeding away from the building. He lowers himself down to the car and throws a gas pellet inside. When the car stops, he retrieves Julie's unconscious body and sets his plane's automatic controls for Hungary in a confrontation with the monk.
0: So, first off, you got that cover. Now, that's a classic cover. Uh, there's a reason it's been aped and aped over and over, and the first time was probably Batman 227 by Neil Adams. You know, it's it's crude by today's standards, but like the Batman stories themselves, it's full of a you know very moody... Mysterioso, as Bob Kane would say, Atmosphere. And, you know, that's the Golden Age Batman in a nutshell. So, I love that cover. It's, it's one of my favorites. And, you know, it's it's a classic. So, so first off, we're in New York, not Gotham City yet. Right. Uh, now, Roy Thomas would try to explain this away as Batman following Julie to New York in Secret Origins number 6 in 1986, which me and Ryan covered on episode six of Secret Origins, the Earth 2 Batman's origin. Back to this, this is considered the Earth 2 Batman. Now, this is Batman's fifth adventure, but it's the first mention of Bruce Wayne's fiance Julie Madison. So, either he got engaged between the last issue of Detective and this one, or they just never bothered to mention her before. Right. So, what was Julie going to do to this guy? You know, how was he involved with the Monk? I hate to tell you this, but we'll never find out.
5: Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yeah,
0: like many things, you know, it's just like random stuff happens. Um, I do think it's neat Batman doesn't speak to Julie in the car. That's the same thing he does to Vicky Vale in the first Batman movie. He doesn't talk to her. So, why didn't Bruce go on the cruise with Julie? Especially after the creepy, you should go to Paris, and Hungary... Land of werewolves.
1: Yeah. I mean, and why would he do... I mean, that does not make any sense. I mean, you know, what? I'm sorry, but the comic was a whole bunch of,
0: what? <laughs> you know, this is indeed the first appearance of the Batarang and the Batplane as the Bat-gyro. And it predates the actual Batmobile for Bat-themed vehicles. So, I think it's funny because while Batman is flying, you hear, it. You, you know, you see him flying over the city and... And an old guy says, We are attacked by Martians! This was shortly after Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds World's broadcast that many thought was real. So, Batman lands on the ship. He meets the monk who tries to hypnotize him. He throws a batarang. And then he just gets back on his plane and follows the ship to Paris. Why didn't he just pursue him on the ship? How far could he have gone?
1: Or why didn't he just, like you said be Bruce Wayne on the ship. Yeah. I'm sure he could afford a cabin Right. somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, but so now he's going to have to go to Paris and look around instead of, you know, having him contained on a little, a fairly small ship. And yeah. Compared to Paris, you know, world's greatest detective. Yeah. And then we get a giant ape. What the? Because, Again, what? King Kong.
1: I know, I, I mean, know, you but know, still.
0: I mean, these early books are just filled with you know you know you could just see Bob Kane and Bill finger went to the movies and it's like oh King Kong or oh Boris Karloff in basil Rathbone basil Carlo Clayface you know right. I mean it's just you know it, it, it's just you know one thing after another you know just it's like you know translated into this comic adapted you know D- don't explain it just you know giant eight why not but you you do notice that Batman's getting out of elaborate death traps already of course he did in the first Batman story, too, the case of the Chemical Syndicate. And Batman hits the heretofore unestablished armed guard with the bat which is interesting. Uh, you know, they didn't even show an armed guard before, but no. there he is. Yeah. So, hey, who is driving that car? Wouldn't that be a clue to follow up on, the car that had Julie in it? No, you know. And so he's off to Hungary, and isn't that a fairly big country? How's he supposed to find the monk, you know? <laughs> So I, you know, Gardner Fox had written the two previous Batman stories as well. Uh, so this wasn't his first Batman story. I'm guessing Finger's contribution would be the Bat gadgets mm-hmm. that he came the up good with. Part. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Gardner Fox would go on to co-create the Flash, Hawkman, the JSA, in, as a team. Dr. Fate, I mean, so, and in fact, you know, some of this stuff would kind of, would fit in with Dr. Fate, you know, that type of stuff. Um, Of course, Sheldon Moldoff is an early uh, assistant of Kane's. He would eventually leave to his own features, including Hawkman for years for DC, and then he would eventually return to Batman in the 50s as Bob Kane's primary ghost artist. So, So, this is a... Super nice man. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Did uh,
1: we meet him at Columbus?
0: No, I think it was Detroit or something, Motor mm. City. Years and years ago, has unfortunately passed away. Oh, yeah. Then. yeah. Well, so, of course, that story continues into the next issue, which is Detective Comics number 32, from October 1939, on sale September twelfth, 1939.
1: At least the comics are published around a good time. Yeah, they are around yeah.
0: Halloween, yeah. Uh, the cover by Fred Gardiner shows a police officer disarming a Tommy gun-wielding gangster. So it's not really a Batman cover. The only mention of Batman is a portrait and name up above the masthead. This is before they figured out put Batman on every cover. So, uh, Batman vs. the Vampire Part 2. Again, not the real title, but it didn't have one. Writer Gardner Fox, Pencils Bob Kane, Inks Bob Kane, and Sheldon Moldoff. Following his fiance, the Batman, in reality Bruce Wayne, has trailed a sinister figure cowed like a monk into Hungary.
1: Batman overtakes a horse-drawn carriage, throwing a gas pellet inside and overpowering the driver. He is surprised to find not the monk, but a woman. Batman takes the woman to his hotel in the Carlathian Mountains. There, she introduces herself to Julie as Dala.
0: That night, Batman stands guard and sees Dela leave the women's room in a trance. He is shocked to see blood on her lips. Dela somehow gets the drop on Batman and knocks him out with a statuette. When Batman comes to, Dayla is gone and Julie has two red spots on her neck. The mark of the vampire.
1: Batman captures Dela again as she tries to leave. He tells Dala he knows she and her master are vampires and demands to know where the monk is. Dala promises to take him there if Batman will kill him. Batman warns Julie she must resist any commands the monk may send her and he and Dayla are off in the Batplane for the Monk's lair in the Lost Mountains of Calathea by the turbulent River Des. Approaching their destination, a great silver net pulls the plane groundward, as if by magic. Dayla chastises Batman for challenging the Monk. The hooded vampire appears and hypnotizes the Dark Knight, leading him to his castle above. The Monk is ready to send Batman to the werewolf den, but Dayla has a better idea. Why not bring Julie there to torment the hero?
0: The monk sends a mental command and Julie takes off, walking her way to the hidden headquarters. When she arrives, she is appalled to find her savior under the monk's spell. The monk transforms into a wolf and his howl brings the wolves of the mountains to him to feast on the Batman. As the monk pushes Batman into the wolf pit, he reminds him that soon Julie will be a werewolf too.
1: As he falls into the pit, Batman snaps out of his trance and makes several attempts to use his bat rope to escape. He manages to knock the wolves out with his gas pellets and eventually does succeed in climbing out of the pit. He finds Julie safe asleep and then sets out to end the monk's threat once and for all.
0: Melting down a silver statue, Batman fashions a pair of silver bullets. Only a silver bullet may kill a vampire. Loading them into a handgun, Batman searches for the vampire's tombs. When he finds them, he wastes no time dispatching them with his supernatural ammo. With the vampires destroyed, Julius free from their spell, and the two fly off. Okay, the opening splash image of Batman is pretty sweet. You know, he's got his cape up around his face. You know, sure, his feet are a bit tiny, but the leather-like look Kane's got going on really works. I mean, I I really like the early-look Batman. I think it's really sharp. So we see Batman lift the carriage driver over his head with no caption. Did he break the guy's back? Did he pull a bane? Did he just throw him off the carriage? It doesn't really no, say. No, it doesn't say. Yeah. You're so. just, oh, okay. Yeah. So you gotta wonder: Did Batman attack every carriage in Hungary just hoping he'd find the milk? right
1: one? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, you know, are you a vampire? No. Uh, <laughs> the Carlathian Mountains. Were they afraid the Carpathians would sue?
1: I'm just like <laughs> you kinda wonder if maybe they didn't know the correct name and that's just you know
0: I no, nah, not Gardner Fox. He was a smart guy. He was very well read. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah okay. yeah, no. I thought maybe it was just a maybe a typo or, you know, and they just went with it.
0: No, I mean I guess this is just, you know, early you know, they were in New York, they weren't in Gotham, but the Carpathian Mountains can't be the Carpathian Mountains. I, that's really strange. So Batman is behind Dala, or Dala, however you say it, following her, but she somehow managed to hit him from behind.
1: <laughs>
0: mm. Quick reflexes? I, I don't know. Well,
1: she's a vampire, so, yeah. Well, she is a
0: vampire, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting how, I forgot to put this in my notes, but I think when he brings her to the hotel, Julie's like, who, who are you? My name is Dala. I seem to have been kidnapped by your friend here. You know, she's just, you know, very... Very casual, you know.
1: And how much eye makeup does that chick got on?
0: Quite a bit. Yeah. She's you know, she's very she's very vampy, you know. Ha ha. Julie looks, you know, very oh sweet and innocent, and she looks all, you know, kind of
1: Vampy. Vampy. Ha-ha-ha.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Two bite marks means vampire. Batman calls Dela and the monk vampires. Remember this, kids. Just remember. <laughs> now, we're just calling Batman ship the Batplane. That didn't take very long. No. I mean, it's obviously, went from one issue, to the Bat. Now, they do call it the Bat Gyro again, but it, obviously, Batplane will stick eventually. Now, the monk then says, Soon your Julie will be as we are, werewolves to ravish on all living men. So, what are they? Are they vampires or werewolves? Are they both? Does Fox or Kane even know what they
1: are? I think this was one of those cases. Hmm, let's throw this at the wall. Does it stick? Okay, let's try this. Oh, okay, that sticks too.
0: Which, you know, I think maybe, you know, there were less distinctions between vampires and werewolves in some folklore. Well, true. So that might be part of it. But, you know, Hollywood had kind of already, they they had made Werewolf of London. And there had obviously been several vampire movies. There had been... You know, obviously the Nosferatu. Of course, that was German. But there was Dracula, and there was Dracula's daughter. By this point, I mean we weren't into the '40s Universal movies yet. By this one, but you know, there'd been Mark of the Vampire. Uh, so you think there'd been enough distinction between them to not have this weird? Because it just keeps going on between
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they're vamp. For the next few pages, they're pretty much werewolves, and then at the end, they're vampires again. So it's it's really strange. He turns into a wolf, but we as we've established, vampires can turn into wolves, right? So uh, in every reprint I have, his hands are colored brown and he has claws, so he kind of looks like underneath maybe he's a werewolf. But later, when Batman shoots him, you it's a very crude drawing, but you see this old like this old looking man in a in a coffin mm-hmm. with no hood on or anything, and he's this old white guy. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I do know that in a ten page story, Batman spends two of them doing the same thing over and over, throwing gas pellets in How and tri- many
1: pellets did he have? Tri-
0: he must have used a whole all the little pellets in his utility pellets. I mean,
1: drag on.
0: <laughs> now we said a few episodes back that Kurt Siodmak had created the silver bullet as a way to cure werewolves. In 1944's House of Frankenstein, which was the first movie we covered this year. Mm -hmm. You know, there had been silver in the other movies, but this was the first time there was a silver bullet. Yet, here it is in 1939. It's meant for vampires, sure, but it's the same solution. So, was that out there in the ether as a way to kill monsters before Because I mean, here it is. I didn't even think of that. I know this story back and forth, but I didn't even think of that when we talked about that movie. I was just thinking in movie mode. So, you know, they're suddenly vampires again at the end, Mm -hmm. like I said. But it just makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if the silver bullet didn't come up in a in some kind of pulp story or or something that yeah. Both Fox and Kane and Siadmak would have seen at some point you know where did Batman get the gun you know uh this is the first time we see Batman with a gun after this he's holstered for quite a few stories but did he just have one on him did he find one there I don't think so but you know it's it's interesting you know how he got the gun so convenient but uh you know it's an abrupt ending but you know what do you expect it's a golden age story right so. So, The Monk and Dala would return in Jerry Conway and Gene Colan's run on Batman in the early 80s, where Batman and Robin actually become vampires for a while. Scared the crap out of me as a kid, didn't even buy all those books, Uh, because I was little and a wiener. Uh, (laughs) They would show up in Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, number 94 by Michael T. Gilbert and Batman the Mad Monk miniseries by Matt Wagner as well as various other appearances and pastiches over the years. And sometimes you see the monk's hood in the Batcave as a trophy and things like that. You know, me, myself, despite the incoherent wonkiness, this is a classic story. And Fox and, and Kane managed to capture the early universal cinematic feel and even a bit of that German expressionist movement that inspired those films, like Nosferatu and things like that. You know, these stories prove Batman could mix with the supernatural, and this was really the first time the character was taken out of the pulpish crime noir roots that he'd been established in. So it obviously wouldn't be the last time. What did you think about it? Uh... (laughs) You have less of an appreciation of it than I do, you know. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know. Unfortunately, and I hate to admit this, because I love the Golden Age characters, but I have a harder, like a lot of fans, I have a harder time reading the stories. I can appreciate them, but when I actually try to sit down and read the stories, I have a hard time with it. But I don't have that problem with Batman stories, really, the early Batman stories. I mean, there's just something about the mood the the energy of them that gets me past that there's it's just and, and I hate to be this way and I, and I like you know because I've you know I've, I'm obviously a fan of the Earth Two Superman and everything but there's a there's the Superman books of the time to me there's a sameness about them that the Batman stories don't have there's just there's just a little more visual excitement in them and I don't know if it's the shadows the mood just the you know the overall visual appeal of Batman, and and then the villains as they come up that you know makes it more interesting. But you know I can I can sit down and read old Golden Age Batman stories and enjoy them. But but I enjoy them more than any other Golden Age series. So you know that's just uh, that's just me. So but uh, so you know I knew eventually we'd have to do that one, and I thought well this you know vampire story is the perfect time to do it. So mm. why not? <laughs> Obviously you weren't as big of a fan. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you like it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible. Quit pushing.
0: Okay, all right. That's fine. That's fine. Well, I just think, you know, it's interesting because you know, I think probably most people would, you know, react the way you did. You know, it's it's, you know, obviously coherent storytelling didn't matter as much back then, mm-hmm. you know, and these type, they were kind of disposable, entertaining little blips, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they didn't care that it didn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? And as time went on, it had to make more sense. So it's obviously a very young comic industry at this point. Well, next time we're going to return to hammer. Uh, you know, we've done, let's say we've done, uh, we did universal, Hammer, Universal, and now we're back to Hammer. Although technically, Curse of the Werewolf is Universal too. Even though it was a Hammer, but it's the, anyway. We're we're back to Hammer, and we're actually going to the very beginnings of Hammer horror of their Gothic horror series with the original Frankenstein feature, The Curse of Frankenstein, starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Woo So, and we'll also have a bit of a surprise for our comic section, which we won't get into but it's going to be a little out of the box on that one. Uh but uh, you'll just have to come and find out and and check it out and that will be our final chapter for this year's House of Frankenstein, believe it or not.
1: I know, I can't believe tomorrow <clears throat> is October.
0: I know. It's like here we are. So
1: And I mean, we're talking at, you know, we're talking about Christmas and birthdays and oh my gosh.
0: Yep, it'll be here before you know it. So well, until then, take care and we'll see you next time. Bye.
5: Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. He is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright, their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue my mommy and daddy. <laughs> Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Supermates and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FW Podcast. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast.
3: my baby to a movie show So I can try to smooch her while the lights are low But you won't will do a story of romance. There's only one way I've got a chance It takes the Batman, Wolfman Frankenstein or Dracula To put her in the mood for love. It takes the cat girl, dog boy, creature from the Black Lagoon To make her feel like making love It takes a monster from our to make my baby want my embrace, and when I hold her, she's like a dream. If only she can hear somebody scream. <laughs> For parking down in love is And lots of moonlight doesn't drive this girl insane She thinks that dreamy music really is a bore But I found out what she's looking for It takes the Batman, Wolfman, Frankenstein or Dracula To make her tender as can be It takes a cat start to fade dead undead I don't care they all frighten me oh I
4: love to be frightened to you?